Right to be read podcast, episode number sixty-three. Interview with David Nihil. You are listening to the Right to Be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. I'm your host, Danny Alexander, and I'm very happy that you're listening to this show. Before we start, I would like to remind you that the podcast is sponsored by the Author Marketing Institute. AMI wanted me to let you know that their next event for authors is coming up at the end of January. It's called Author Marketing Live. And it's a virtual conference. That means that you can attend from your home or office and see all the presentations via your computer or tablet. Grab a seat today to learn from bestsellers like Steve Scott, Jalcom, Louis Hose, and Peter Shankman and more. You can grab a ticket to the event for only $99 if you use the coupon code ANI during the checkout. ANI spelled A-N-I. That is $49 off the regular price. So just visit www.authormarketinglive.com to register and using the coupon code ANI save $49. And before we start today's episode, I would like to share with you something really special. The thing is, I have created a giveaway for you. And that giveaway will help you start a successful self-publishing career. So what do you need to start a self-publishing career? Actually, you need several things and we covered most of them in, in the podcast. You need to write a book and learn how to self-publish and market it. I know that it sounds simple, but I know that it's extremely complicated and hard. So um, in order to help you with this, I'm giving away Scrivener, which is the best friend in the writing stage. It's one of the most recommended writing tools these days. And I'm also giving away two ebooks. One is The Right Publish Repeat by Johnny B. Truant and Sean Platt, which we have discussed and we covered a bit during the interviews with the authors and the other one is called business for authors how to be an author entrepreneur by joanna pan and that covers the mindset of running the business as an author and i think that the three prizes that i'm giving away will will have you fully packed for the first stage of your exciting journey of becoming a sex, successful author well uh, i would also like to tell you why I decided to organize this giveaway well the th reason is uh, very exciting it's special for me the reason is that right to be read podcast actually hit 50,000 downloads can you imagine the podcast has been listened to 50,000 times and this is truly special for me because the biggest fear I had when I was launching the podcast was that most probably no one would listen. And um, I've shared that concern and fear with some of my friends. They can confirm that. That was something I was scared of the most while launching the podcast. That is why this figure of 50,000 downloads is very special to me. And I want to give it back to the audience and to the listeners and say thank you for listening and coming back to every next episode of the Right to be Right podcast. 
And besides that, this month is my birthday. I'm becoming one year older. And that's yet another, you know, much smaller, but still a reason to celebrate and do something special. Well, you can participate in the giveaway at www.annialexander.com slash giveaway. Annie spelled A-N-I. www.annialexander.com slash giveaway. And now, finally, we can get to our interview. Today I'm interviewing David Nihel. David was born in Dublin, Ireland. After graduating with a master's degree in business in 2003, he moved to San Francisco where he worked for the Irish government helping startups expand rapidly. He has been involved in startup companies ever since. David is the founder of Funny Biz Conferences, a community conference series helping content creators tap into the power of storytelling, comedy and improve to create better content. He has performed stand-up comedy at California's leading clubs, even though he strongly denies being a comedian and is well aware most people don't understand his accent. His learning, taken from one year's intensive experience in comedy, performed on someone from business community with a huge initial fear of public speaking, that is him, have been featured in Inc. and Forbes, amongst others. He loves sharks, still dislikes public speaking, and calls San Francisco home when immigration officials permit. Well, hello, David. I'm really happy to have you here. Welcome to the Right to be Read show, and I really appreciate taking the time and coming over. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. I've heard many things about you <laughs> and I've I also know and I've I've had the honor to have a look in advance to the book that you are writing and will soon be released which is um called Do you talk funny. So let's just start with the book and uh, from the very beginning first of all why did you decide to write a book how did you come up with that? Well yeah I guess I've I've always wanted to write a book and never really thought I had the ability to write a book. So I'm, I'm dyslexic and also I generally I was caught up in working too hard or or never really tracking my own stories or collecting my thoughts in a way that I think people would get use out of a book. So I think like most people I had the desire to write a book but I never thought I would be able to. So there was a strange sequence of events where a friend of mine suffered a spinal cord injury and I had... Uh, volunteered to organize a fundraiser for him. And the fundraiser was comedy for a spinal cause. So it was a bunch of comedians coming together and an event that would give all the money to him to support his recovery. Now, because I organized it, my friends insisted I host it. And I was really, really, really scared of public speaking. And it was something, because I was a pretty outgoing and talkative person, and being Irish, that's natural to a lot of us, <laughs> some would say. Um, they insisted that I host it. So it was this fear that I've always had, I'd always carried through my working life that I had to face. Uh, and I managed to overcome it. So I, I did that night. It went really successfully, but I did prepare for it. And I looked into stand-up comedy as a medium to better public speaking just because these days there's a lot of pressure on speakers to be entertainment, uh, to be funny because a, a lot of the, the leading TED Talks moved the needle on humor. Um, so this book was basically a, became a synopsis of everything I learned over that year, and I figured it would help other people along the way to overcome the fear I had of public speaking, but also just to to meet a real aspiration that a lot of public speakers have um, to be a funnier speaker. 
Okay, I see. Well, you said that you always wanted to write a book, but you never thought that you could do that. And after your experience with uh, with the comedy, uh, what happened? I mean, how did you decide that? What made you think that now you could write a book, actually? <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't sure. To be honest, I, I had a couple of big concerns. One was finding my natural voice. That I, you know, I'd, I'd researched a lot the idea of, of uh, writing a book and reading a book. And there's a lot of great blogs out there, like your own and podcasts, where you can get great information. But I still didn't feel like I would be quite ready to write a book. I didn't think I'd be able. Uh, one big fear I had: I was dyslexic. And my writing style tends to be absolutely mistake-laden if I don't really focus on it or have some good help. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't 100% confident also that there was a market for the topic I had in mind. So do people really want to be funnier speakers? Is there a need? Is there a pressure to that? And can it be broken down to a process? So I actually put my thoughts together and I audio dictated and recorded them over essentially a presentation. And I hosted that on an online learning platform. Uh, and my thought was that I could get interactive feedback on the way I laid out my learning as I was going to try and teach it. So I'd never tried to teach this subject either, so I wasn't sure how to best to gather my thoughts. So I actually published a, an online course on the topic, which allowed me to test different names for the book title. And the platform I signed up with basically did most of the promotion on my half. Another thing I was scared of doing was self-promoting. I don't want to be out there banging a drum telling everybody... Uh, what I did is awesome, and they should come and check it out because it probably isn't, uh, especially at the start. But that learning platform gave me a medium um, to really interact with people and get a feeling like, yeah, there is a market for this book. There is a desire for the knowledge that I have, and I'm pretty well positioned to share it. Uh, and it also enabled me to actually make money and, and pay for the production of the book and profit some in doing it, So, which was kind of an unexpected twist I learned. I didn't know that was possible. I'd certainly never read it any verb that it was. Um, but I'm glad I learned the, the hard way that it was. Wow, yeah, well, very interesting. Actually, uh, I, I had cases where people's life stories became books. I had cases where um, person's podcast material became a book. And some people's blogs eventually turn into books. But that, you know, an online course becomes a book later on. I never heard of that. So it's 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 quite a unique twist to, to a way uh, to kind of... Um, fund and and create the book actually well it was and to develop an audience so i think by the time i put it on there and before i finished the book i let the course run for 10 months and and by the end of that 10 months i had over 4000 students now not all of them would be fully engaged but i would say 10 to 20% of those guys were were very actively engaged in the course course and were for providing me feedback and that way, it, it laid out a way for me to really structure effectively the content I wanted to produce. But it also allowed me to, at the end of that, have that dictated. So the dictated content from my boy speaking really allowed me to find my own natural voice as a writer. Uh, and plus, it was pretty cost effective. So when it came to the moment to turn this into a book, um, you know, for 80 books, I was able to have somebody or $80 US, I was able to have somebody transcribe all the content from the course and then really work through that with a high quality editor that I was able to hire from the money that I made on the course to work back through it and, and make sure we structured it in a way that was visually appealing and to the reader. Oh, very interesting. So actually, the the online course and it was on the Udemy platform, let's mention that because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was hosted on Udemy and 
I hosted it on Udeme for a number of reasons, but primarily they were growing very fast. They just round and raised another round of funding. They were very active in promoting new courses on there. And if your course was on something new that had an interesting twist to it, or there wasn't many courses already in their marketplace for it, like my one, and they were very, very active at promoting it. So over those 11, 10, 11 months, I put no effort whatsoever other than writing that I had a course on the bottom of my email address mm-hmm. um, to send it out. So I really didn't promote it in any way. I didn't promote it to my friends or I didn't actively solicit anything from anybody. Udemy did that all on my behalf. So that feeling I had where like, I, it's very Irish thing that we just don't like self-promotion culturally. It's like we really are scared about getting out yeah. there and telling people that we did something just in case they don't like it or we feel like we're annoying them. Um, so that was kind of a nice way for me to get around that and Udeme did all that on my behalf. Yeah, well, I can imagine because, uh, I mean, I was born and raised in back in the Soviet Union and we had the same mentality and culture where you were supposed to be modest and, you know, whatever is good about you, other people are supposed to tell, not yourself. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a vicious rumor. I didn't start it, but you guys are fond of alcohol occasionally as well. Uh, I don't know if there's any truth to that one. That's Russia. Yeah, that's the Russians, <laughs> but we're different. You've got to blame somebody. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is very similar yeah. culturally attitude. I mean, I, I agree. We just don't come from that background where we produce them. We just don't want to get out there and tell everybody about it. We're just kind of happy to produce it and let it sit. Whereas Udeme, I found, gave me a great medium where they just went and they banged on those for me and said, hey, check out this course. It's great. And then it gave me a way to interact with people once they'd actually taken the course and were willing to give feedback on it or, or liked it and wrote to me about it. Um, and I, I think at one stage, I wasn't quite sure about the name for the course. And then I read... There's quite a famous psychology blog from a, a lecturer in Stanford University, and he was he did an article about how Udeme had many courses, and some of them just had really visually appealing names that compel people to buy. And he made the example of my course name, and that's when I was like, aha, maybe this is a pretty good course name. Uh-huh. Um, so and, it was just, and what it was, was his name? That was Seven Comedy Habits to Be a Better and Funnier Speaker. Uh-huh, Okay. And um, which I was always on the fence about, but once I, I saw it written there, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm sticking with it. It's seven comedy habits. But again, it, it gave people an idea that the process of comedy and being funnier could be broken down. Like many other processes or many writers will approach a topic kind of like an engineer with a quite analytical mind on how to structure it and lay it out. And the same thing can be done with humor. Uh, and that's what I wanted to communicate with people that if someone like me can do it, this is how I did it, and I ended up being able to headline comedy shows and winning storytelling nights over that first year and performing in clubs and comedy festivals in the U.S. And if you had told me that the year before, like I would certainly not have believed you. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was just to communicate to that people. You know, we've all sat through super boring presentations, and we all end up with a lot of boring content. And a lot of time, it's nobody's fault. It's just that they don't really know how to structure it differently. There is a training in it, and there is a process to it. So, yeah, Udemy kind of gave me a means to tie that all together and get the, the information out to people. So can we say that the online course kind of validated the need of the topic and when you were in doubt whether there was a need of uh, what you were going to write about now after the Udemy success, you knew that there is? Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I think I, I knew in my, I kind of, I felt in my soul, in my head, my passion that there was a need for it because I had a need for it and I'd sat through so many 
presentations that were not exactly the stuff of champions, like was not so exciting. A lot of people sleeping through it. Mm-hmm. And I knew, was, I knew basically pe- most people had a fear of public speaking and most people had an aspiration to be funnier if they could be. And now this book certainly wouldn't make people funnier in life, but it, it can make them funnier on stage for a presenting period of time. That it certainly could do. So the Udemy platform gave me a way to validate that. And it also gave me the, the kind of strength and motivation to keep going. Like people were using this. They were telling me their stories of how they used it and how it benefited them. And that, you know, that will certainly motivate you as a writer to go, okay, this is cool. I'm actually make a difference and, and maybe people want to read what I have to say. Yeah, and I think that actually, in fact, it it saved a lot of time at the same time because usually what happens is we write the book and then we are looking for better readers who will read it and later on provide feedback. And here you kind of on ongoing basis, you were getting the feedback from people about what you were supposed to write in the book already. So you, you kind of, you, you had a shortcut and made the things much, much, you know, faster. Yeah, exactly. And it, gave, it it saved me trying to, you know, it saved me hassling my family or hassling my friends going, hey, I read this chapter, read it and give me feedback. And they're like, you know, man, listen, I'm busy. I'm flattered you asked me, but go away. Stop asking me. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it, I feel bad reaching out to people as well. So this way it was actually paying people. They paid for this course, so they were engaged. They wanted to use it. It was making a difference. And they would respond and say, hey, yeah, I thought this was great, and I thought this wasn't. Also, with it done as a course, you can actually see the interactive rates and the drop-off rates and the completion rates. So you can see what people like, what they don't like, at what stage they lose engagement in what you're telling them. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, for me, it was like a dream way to craft a book. It was like I can get interactive feedback the whole time. And it'll really, really cut down this process. So when it actually comes to writing the book, one, I don't have to write it because I've already vocalized it. I just have to rewrite uh, what I've structured. So, yeah, it, it saved a lot of time. Yeah, I, and I think that you're right that when a person is speaking, it's much easier to find his own voice rather than when you are writing. Because when you're writing, you at some point you tend to kind of, you know, sound different and and you know uh, there is a risk of being more official and formal and things like that which are not really very pleasant to read like dry texts etc so i think that also kind of helped a lot um, to have this conversational style in your book yeah and I, i think it reflected my personality that i you know there's a bit of fun mixed into it there's a lot of facts mixed into it and it Comes across. I wanted basically a reader to feel like they'd already met me when they read the book, like that they had a feel for my thoughts and me as a person, and that my writing would be a reflection of the way I speak. So yeah, it was it. It definitely saved me a lot of the time. Plus, I obviously had all these struggles with the Irish accent with uh, different software applications where I did try and just dictate the book originally, and it, it wasn't working for me. It was quite frustrating and a labor-intensive process, and none of those software <laughs> were picking up anything I was saying with an Irish accent. So I found myself shouting at a computer screen trying to retrain it quite frustratingly. Uh, you're laughing I'm guessing this problem may have happened to you at some stage in life yeah well I I do have a strong accent as well myself and so I I can't imagine how frustrating that can be oh yeah and I was imagining yourself shouting at the computer I was if anyone would have heard me in the next room trying to Americanize my voice I was like come on please work operate Uh, awesome any American terminology I can pick up was going there but it just wasn't working (laughs) 
So I'm recording the course. It, it allowed me to have a continuous stream of my audio that then somebody else would go back through and, and manually dictate rather than a machine. So it, it took a lot of frustration out of the process. It mm -hmm. made it a lot faster, and it certainly helped me find my voice because it was my voice. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that you were getting feedback from your students, from your online students. So how much was um, your like the resulted book at the end uh, modified based on the feedback did you change a lot or not uh, i did i'd say i changed about 40 percent of what i had in there uh, i cut out a lot of stuff that it was clear where people would drop off engagement wise or the examples didn't re resonate as much with them but i would also say that working with an editor on the completed process as well also changed a lot the structure um, mm -hmm. So I, I found that hugely valuable. Like the the result between what I would have produced working my, myself, whereas I did produce in the end working with a really experienced top quality editor was there's just no comparison. Uh, complete opposite. So that that made a big difference as well. Just how to set it out as it would be to a reader naturally or someone was accustomed to seeing in a book as a story unfolds, uh, that was very, very helpful. So yeah, what I would have put out a year ago had I not gone through this course and not worked with a, a top-class editor is, is pretty much unrecognizable, I would say. Very, very different. Mm, I see. So uh, I presume that after uh, trying that and having this kind of, you know, good results in terms of, you know, smooth process, uh, you will most probably do your next book the same way? I would if it was a, a an instructive course. I think the next book I'd like to write, and the one I always really wanted to write was kind of more my travels and life and I think I've lived in 14 countries now and, and oh. been to a lot more than over 50 or I've certainly lost count and had a lot of good experiences and adventures along the way. And that was the one I always really wanted to write. This one was more a problem I had to overcome, but I, I saw the value in it. So yeah, I would, if it was anything instructional and informational, again, and nonfiction with a teaching element to it, I certainly would go down the same route. Now, whether the time comes, whether Udeme is the platform or not, I wouldn't be sure. But it really is a matter of getting on a, an online learning platform or an e-course learning platform that's growing rapidly and investing and growing rapidly. And at the moment, Udeme is a, a platform that's doing just that. Mm, I see. And are there, I mean, I, I'm sure many writers uh, may be a bit scared of technological part of the things. Was it like really hard to do or, uh, you know, what was the process? No, it, it was pretty easy. So I am absolutely horrendous when it comes to technology. So if I managed to do it, I actually borrowed the microphone from a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> uh, at one stage who told me how to use it so that I ended up going with in the end so it was very simple uh, Udeme and nearly all the platforms I came across make it really really easy for you to do it it's in their interest for you to be able to get through to that, that process so they have very easy instructional videos on it but I used um, the software I used to record it even there was no cost with that so you can trial it on a, a 30 day download for free and I managed to record all the course content in that period. Um, but then, then you can redo it and rework it as you go. But yeah, the costs were very small. The technology element was also very small and very easy to get over. And um, there's certainly some basic stuff you want to get your head around. It's, it's probably going to be two weeks of work that's not super comfortable when you're putting that course together and refining it. And then a little bit of continuous refinement as you get feedback throughout. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's about two weeks to get your head around and actually produce something you're comfortable and happy with and to, you know, to put out there.
Okay, I see. And um, since you said that Udemy did all the promotion for you and you had over 4,000 students, uh, did you have, um, how were you, uh, the only access to your students' uh, direct access was through Udemy or you could get their email lists as well? Or how does it work? Do you have the list of your students? You have a list of your students, but you can only access them through the Udemy platform. And that's the downside. So you can see each student, you can see their name, and you can email them through Udemy's platform themselves. What you don't have is access to their emails. But I, I, importantly, I did find on this, so I released, I'm releasing my book actually January 12th. Um, and just coming up to that, I made it available, and I will be making it available for the first two days for free. So I put it out to the Udemy list. So I was able to post a message on there and say, hey, if you want to get this, sign up to this link or let me know. And I, I'd say a good um, 25% of them within the first day signed up to that. Um, so there was the ability to make some form of communication with them. And they'll see your information there on LinkedIn and Twitter. So you do have a, a number of avenues to get in touch with those students. Okay. So it's you can say that actually by doing this, you had uh, everything covered in terms of uh, you had the materials ready, you had the feedback with, and you modified uh, your final product according to the feedback. You had the audience in place already, which you you could use and you're using for the book launch yep. and it eventually uh well we, we touched the subject that it uh, took much uh, less time but uh, how long did it take actually 10 well, months you said yeah from start to finish i put i put the course online last february um, and i let the course run for quite a while and i only really transferred from the course to the book in September. So I'd say the full process of writing the book and editing the book and, and doing everything that went with it. So the book is self-published, so it's you know it's cover design and, and everything else that goes with it and finding great people to help you with diff different aspects was probably about three months and the, the course itself, seven to eight months running time before I started looking at the book. Mm -hmm. And how much did actually preparing the course last? Uh, preparing the course took me two weeks. Two oh, weeks only. Wow. Yeah, maybe a little bit less. But again, it was it was information I had given a lot of thought to. You know, as with most people who who have the information in mind that they want to get down in book format, they'll have a very good idea of how it's going to look uh, or what's the best way to lay it out. And, you know, they'll play around with that structure over time. And, and producing a book, that's a continuous editing cycle. It's a little bit different when the book comes from a course because you already have a structure in mind. So in my case, the seven comedy habits were going to be seven chapters of the book. And then it was a matter of developing the content within each one of those chapters, testing it on students and, and seeing what worked for them and seeing what feedback came in. Mm -hmm. And what about the students' feedback? Did you expect that kind of thing? Or were there some things that really, really surprised you? Uh, it would surprise me how hard it was to get feedback originally. Um, uh -huh. So if it, there was a big difference between giving something away for free. So to get students originally, I made a number of copies of the course available for free. And the people that signed up for it were very, very low engagement and very slow to get back with any feedback. Even if I could see that they'd gone through the course a bit, when I reached out to them, I noticed they weren't as, as responsive for the ones that paid for it in the end. So a lot of the guys that actually put down money, they were interested in the topic 
they became more engaged with taking the course and it, they gave me better, I'd say, more regular feedback. They were more responsive. But yeah, I, I was surprised how many people signed up for a course and didn't actually do the course. But you know, since then, I've learned that the average online metric for that is about 10% of people that actually buy an e-course online will complete that course. Uh, which mm-hmm. I thought was alarmingly low, but I guess you know it, it reflects human nature a bit that you sign up for something and then you just don't have time to complete it. Uh, so that surprised me definitely overall. I wasn't expecting that. And and what was the price of the course? Because I have a feeling that the more expensive the course is, the less is the possibility that people will kind of you know leave it like that. <laughs> yeah. So originally I priced it at fifty nine dollars, and I think. Udemy run a number of sales where your course is generally discounted a lot in their promotions. Mm-hmm. And you sign up whether you want to let them do that or not. But I'd say the average sales price for my course was $19 uh, overall. And sometimes they sell that as low as $10. Sometimes it's as high as $99 uh, depending on what is there. So at the moment, I think I have it priced as $99. But I have it priced that way knowing that it's going to sell for a lot less in, in discount sales. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I didn't really notice price point wise differing engagement levels. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. If I pay ninety nine dollars for something, I have a much higher chance that I personally would actually do it than if I paid five bucks for it or, or two dollars for it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I didn't notice that as much as I thought I would in the numbers. So if someone was interested in a topic and paid any money whatsoever for it, they seemed likely to pursue that course and at least have a co- higher completion rate of somebody who didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go to the next stage. Let's say you, you already wrote the book, and uh, well, meaning that it was transcribed and you had the manuscript draft ready. Yep. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you used the funds which you you received from the Udemy course, yep. and you outsourced most of the things that were supposed to be done after the draft manuscript was ready. So. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, I mean, that's that's like the best thing. If, if a person can afford it, that's the best thing to do. Uh, but can you explain us what exactly did you outsource and what you paid for? Yeah, so it wasn't outsourcing as, as such. It was more that I, I was able to work with people that I really admired in an industry or area. I, I was actually able to afford their services from the course. So uh, I mean, outsourcing-wise, probably the only thing I handed off was using 99designs for a cover logo. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to reach out and identify editors that I really wanted to work with um, that had published a lot of books that I admired or had a writing style that I wrote. And important to me on this one was obviously somebody editing that had a big passion about comedy as well and presenting it. So, yeah, basically hired somebody to help me promote the book because again i just don't like being out there banging the drum on this and telling everybody it's great i'm pretty proud of what i produced in the end and i think it's a fun light quick easy read for a topic that isn't a lot of fun most of the time public speaking the average book there's one or two good really good ones out there that are fun or engaging but most of them aren't going to engage you a lot or don't really resonate with a story it's a tough subject to make interesting so I was, I was pretty wary of that when I did it. So I was able to hire somebody to do the cover design, uh, proofreaders of it originally, a very, very good editor and a, a very, very good person to get that out there and, and bring a good cover design for it as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if it's not a secret, uh, in total, how much did you spend for all those? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd have to look it up exact, but I'd say well, ballpark. Approximately. Ballpark, approximately. 
production costs were a lot higher than I thought. When you put quality people into the book and getting it out there, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you get what you pay for, but I'd say ultimately probably all spent maybe $9,000 uh, on all production and including websites and the design that goes with it, anything supporting it, cover design all the way through. And total income over that period from Udeme was approximately $12,000. So yeah, the extra $3,000 I spent going to Brazil for a month last month and finishing off the book sitting by the beach, yeah, uh, wow. which is, is not a bad way to do it. Well, absolutely. And I, I'm sure that uh, the good thing with uh, online courses as well as the Kindle books and you know similar uh, passive income streams is that you put it once and if you do things right, it kind of, you know, it brings you the passive income and you sit in the brazil and enjoy the money <laughs> yeah. coming in I well i'd read about it done online all these different people who seem to magically do it so i was like all right i want to see is it actually possible for me can i go to brazil and make more money while i'm in brazil through not doing a lot of work and it, to be honest the answer was i did and i could but it, it took a lot of work behind the scenes to do that so pa- passive income from what i read in my experience is never as passive as you think it is it sounds great but I mean, there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes to make it so, and and probably much more than you actually earn passively for the first couple of years, or at least that's been my case. But I should also add, actually, that I didn't mention that part of those funds went to producing an audio book for this as well. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, just to support it. So the more content you can have out there at the end of the day, the better. The more people you work with who really know what they're doing to help you, the better. And I certainly have benefited from the skills of some really great people on this. And it certainly wouldn't have been, I'm not definitely not saying it's an amazing book in any way, shape or form, but it's a lot better now than it would have been had I not had the leverage point, not had the resources and not had the good fortune to meet a lot of great people that could help me get the book out there. I see. So, uh, I mean, I understand why are you so humble and I understand why you don't want to say that it's a great book. Uh, but let's say, I mean, I, I, I'm absolutely I, I could sure. be correct, which is a worry. But no, I mean, I, I like it. <laughs> Ultimately, I feel good about what's put out there and in an area that's hard. But yeah, I appreciate the fine words. <laughs> but I, I'm absolutely sure that you have a certain kind of expectations from the launch of your book, which will be coming out soon. So what do you expect? What, what are you looking for? Yeah, ultimately, I mean, all of us, I think, want to get put positive feedback on something. You Ultimately, at the end of the day, when you write a book, you really put yourself out there and, and you put yourself online to scrutiny. And it's hard. I, I read a great line and quoted through some of James Altucher's work online, but it was it was something I really had to tackle myself. When you put something out there, thirty percent of the people are going to love what you did. Thirty percent of the people don't care about what you did. Thirty percent of people don't hate it, and another ten percent you can't even figure out where they went to, and uh, to try and give sense to that occasion. But I think if you realize that not everybody has to like what you're doing, and not everybody will. It makes it a lot easier to get it out there. And, and my expectation for this is just to get it out there. It's a problem I know a lot of people have. Uh, and I think it's a problem reading this book and the knowledge within it could help them solve or at least advance them a little bit. So, yeah, I'm literally just hoping to be able to help people get over the fears that I had and also help people deliver more entertaining presentations. Because I don't like sitting through boring presentations myself. I run a conference series um, I go to a lot of conferences, so you know I'm faced with stuff that is not that exciting a lot of the time, and I really feel bad for the speaker because as an audience member, you want to see them do well. And I, you know, I had knowledge from my years' experiments where I'm like, oh, if I just told him this, or if he could probably do this, it would make a big difference. It made a big difference for me. So the book was a way of getting that out there, and my my only hope, I guess, is that people read it, 
people like it and you know if they don't like it that's something i have to deal with as a new author as well you know maybe i could have done a lot better job and uh, maybe i need to go back and then rewrite some of it but well that's what i was going to ask you are are you psychologically prepared for those 30 that are going to hate your book yeah i i have a pretty tough skin but yeah i feel i'm not i mean i i think every writer just runs the risk when you do that and you ultimately it's very hard to pull the trigger on the book and say yeah okay it's finished it's not getting any better because as a writer, I mean, I know I'm a first-time writer. I know my book could be much better. Do I have the time to do it? Do I think it does a good job on a basic level? I mean, it, it just depends. It's kind of a constant argument with the perfectionist in you. So I do not think my book personally is as good as it could be. Um, but the feedback I've got so far on it is, is quite positive for the area it's in and the type of book it is. But yeah, I'm definitely not prepared for that, but I'm going to have to face it. I'm at the point now where I have no choice, I think. Well, uh, actually, um, I don't know. Personally, I uh, when I'm getting those bad reviews, the way I'm facing it is I go back and read all the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. So it, it, it helps a lot because, you know, you, you end up, and especially when you have these uh, proportions that are different and you have more positive reviews than negative ones, it helps a lot because you end up thinking that, you know, eventually your book helped more people than, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to be honest, if my book helps anybody, even one person, that's fine. Like that's, I never thought I'd be able to write a book. I never thought I'd be able to put one out there. I just didn't think I had the ability to do that. So now that I have, if that makes a difference, even to one person, happy days. Like, and even if it doesn't, even if everybody hates it, it's still an achievement for the person who writes the book to get over something, to get over a fear and to get over something they didn't think they'd be able to produce. So worst case scenario, I think it'll probably open the way to more books down the road, or at least it's an experience and something on the bucket list that you know most people in the world share. And I don't know how accurate the statistic is but i've read numerous times that over 90 of the people say when asked they would like to read it, write a book and i was yeah. no different so now it's done i have to face the consequences uh, hopefully they'll be pretty <laughs> decent but yeah time will tell but I, i don't mind either way to be honest well okay since we spoke about the book so much uh let's say i mean i'm sure many non-fiction authors would like to and it would be really nice to have some uh, public speaking gigs which would eventually help them with their business and with promoting their books and in case they are from uh, your potential readers and don't really feel comfortable um, with public speaking what are like the few important tips you would advise yeah certainly well i think As more and more people are finding financial success outside traditional companies, so my argument is sooner or later you're going to have to self-market. And to do this, you're going to need to tell your story. And how you tell that story makes a huge difference. And the only way to really get out there and put yourself out there for your products or ideas, whether it's within your company or for your book, is to public speak. Uh, so my view is you don't really have a choice but to do it. Like as a writer, the public speaking side of it goes hand in hand, especially if you're targeting New York Times bestsellers. So someone I, I think is great to look at is Chris Gillenbu. Um, he just launched The Pursuit of Happiness. He's had numerous uh, successful books like The $100 Startup. But he will do over 50 cities uh, on a book tour when he launches a new book. And you know, tapping into that kind of community and getting the message out there to that many people is going to help your message spread a lot further and wider. Uh, and I think you need to think about doing that as a writer or within your job itself. 
Um, there's a large pressure to be funny when you're doing it. So what I tried to detail in the book is, is how to inject story and humor uh, into your talks, how to deliver it like a stand-up comedian. So my argument in the book that nobody delivers, nobody faces as big public speaking challenges as a stand-up comedian. Like every 12 seconds, they're judged. It's the toughest audience you're ever going to face. So the book was an experiment to see what crosses over between uh, stand-up comedy and the world of business speaking. And the answer is quite a lot. So it turned out when we did a bit of research that a lot of the TED Talks are actually funnier on a laughs per minute basis than a lot of the funniest comedy movies of all time. So it was oh. quite significant. <laughs> yeah, it was like literally laughs per minute is a basis that comedians use a lot to judge their own performance on stage. And if you apply the same metric to the leading top 10 TED Talks, some of them are significantly funnier on a laughs per minute basis than movies like The Hangover. Uh, for example, that are super funny. So the evidence was really there that top speakers are using comedy. So my advice to people who need to face that is using humor is a really, really great way to engage your audience. And the book takes people through not really aiming for Jerry Seinfeld type humor. It's very hard to to develop the skill set to be naturally witty or to, to have a perspective on that that's based in really good comedic writing skills or natural talent. It's more so get a collection of stories together that you can deliver in their shortest, most effective form to your audience that come from your real life and link them to your topics. So that's what the book tries to do essentially and that would be my advice to any new speakers is just focus on building a connection with the audience. There's certainly ways to overcome that initial stage fright. And the easiest way to do that with your highest chance of success and being funny is to tell your own funny stories that you're already comfortable telling them. But what we provide in the book is just ways of, of winding that down and using comedy writing techniques to rewrite your own personal stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Well, I, and I think that you might use part of this technique in writing a book, actually, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it's the same thing. Over time, comedians tend to become really good writers. So it, they say on average it takes about seven years to become a working professional comedian. And a lot of these guys start off as people who, like many early presenters, would not describe themselves as naturally funny. And what happens over time is they really develop their own writing skills. They develop the same skill set as a copywriter. And that then translates to any books they might produce, any written publications. And a lot of these guys, if they don't make it as stand-up comedians, they will make it quite successfully working even in the realm of business uh, as copywriters. So the business I actually run called Funny Biz is a writer platform that matches up those skill sets. The need from business to add entertainment to written material and it's tapping into the skills of comedians, the copywriting skills that they've developed to, to solve that problem. Okay, I see. So are um, public speaking gigs um, in your um, plans for the book launch or book promotion? Yeah, ironically, not really. Uh, I still <laughs> hate public speaking. Like, I really do not public like public speaking and that's why I wrote this book. I did it for a year, but it was very much like a year of of self-inflicted torture on doing this stuff. It was fun a lot of the way, but a lot of it, you know, it, it's a big fear I have, and it's a fear I have to this day. The difference is I can do it. So when it's my own conference series that I run and I'm hosting it, I get over it and I'll do it. Uh, on supporting the book, the answer is I really should be doing it, um, but I'm not. Uh, I much prefer if I can do a podcast and I can have a great conversation like someone like yourself on the phone, I'm much happier to do that than standing on stage. But the difference now, if I need to stand on stage and I want to and confidently deliver material in a way that I know the audience is going to be more engaged and entertained, I can do it. 
And that's what I wanted to share with people who read this book. There's maybe I don't want to do it, but the realization you're probably going to have to do it sooner or later. And if you don't like doing it regularly, well, don't. But if you need to do it that one or two times a year that's going to make a big difference to your career as an author or within your business, then here's how you're going to be able to nail it. Okay, I see. Well, actually, um, our interview made me think that Every time I come up with um, different uh, people who, who kind of invent new ways of writing books and promoting books, I have a feeling that, okay, that's it, you know, what else can be done? And then I end up coming up with, with completely new ways and new means of things that people are inventing and doing it completely differently and, and having different creative approaches. So this interview was one of those when I came up with, with some thing I never heard about oh, and which and which worked perfectly well actually and and it sounds quite uh, you know something that many people would like to try and uh, it's actually not difficult to implement neither time wise nor technology wise etc so it's worth trying so uh, it would be interesting to see how many people will will repeat that and how it will work for them as well Yeah, and I, I hope it works well. I, I think it's there to be repeated. It's it's not as if I had any great creative genius on doing it. It was it was just something that seemed quite obvious and worth trying because I didn't have a better plan. And sometimes, as you know, creativity comes into its best when you don't have a better plan, but you do have a desire to do something. And this was born out of that. So yeah, hopefully it's of some value to your listeners and um I hope they give it a shot. And if they don't, I hope they find another way of doing it for themselves. But yeah, getting a book out there is, is certainly not super easy. But I think this is a way of making it just a little bit less painful and, and financially supporting yourself in the process. Or at least yeah. covering the costs associated with that book. Because a lot of the time, maybe you're not in a financial situation healthy enough to dedicate the resources and money to do this book. And you don't want to put something out there that doesn't look as professional as it could. I certainly didn't. Uh, so for me, you may give me a way of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and providing value and fresh ideas to um, to the podcast because I had a feeling that we were ending up, you know, at some point repeating the same things all over again. So I'm, I'm really happy that we had something completely different and fresh this time. Well, great. Yeah, I'm ha happy to be of help. It's not often I come up with anything creative or fresh. So I'm very, I'm glad this is going down in recorded version. This is going to be a couple <laughs> of percent that I listen back to to make myself happy when I get all those negative reviews. Absolutely. As soon as you receive one, <laughs> I you hope see when I'm going back to your podcast immediately. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, well, thanks a million for having me. It was a great chat to you. Thank you. Well, that was it for today. A reminder once again, as I already told in the beginning, the Author Marketing Live is a virtual conference which will take place at the end of January. You can grab a ticket to the event for only $99 if you use the coupon code ANIANI during checkout. That's $49 off the regular ticket price. Just visit www.authormarketinglive.com to register. And please don't forget to check out my giveaway at www.annealexander.com slash giveaway. You'll get a chance to win awesome things for self-published authors. 
And before I forget, uh, the show notes for this episode are at www.annialexander.com slash 63. And you will get there the link to the training, which uh, will give you a 70% discount, as well as you'll get the link there for the book we spoke about with David, which will be free for the upcoming two days. I wish you luck with the giveaway i wish you success with what you're writing right now and i want you to keep writing and moving forward take care and see you in the next episode